Uh, good morning, everybody. Yeah, this series that we've been doing here at Cornerstone is, as you can see, the Jesus life, doing the things Jesus did. And the intention is that those who speak, speak out of their kind of experience of God and of Jesus. And uh, that's, um, that's really quite something. And so um, I'll have a go at that today. And I have been thinking about it for a long time. Um, and frankly, I need a lot more time to think about it. <laughs> this is one of the things that came to mind. Uh, you may remember this, some of you, this quote, both now and forevermore, from the great benediction from Jude's letter. And uh, I think if I press the button again, you're going to get it. Here it comes. This is, um, I think, in one of the newer versions, says now to him who is, and this is right at the end of Jude's letter. Jude is one of Jesus' uh, stepbrothers, so same mother, a different father. And Jesus had, uh, I think, four stepbrothers and two stepsisters. Uh, and, but to all intents and purposes, they were one family and very, very tight. And it just struck me uh, as I was in this passage, this, this phrase came to my mind um, as I was thinking about this. And, um, and so to try to hold and make some sense of my experience of Jesus, I, I just went to the scriptures on this phrase. And, and it, 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 let's, let's read it together. Uh, Jude writes, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That's how he ends it. Um, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... Great graphic la uh, terminology, isn't it? Life, life does that to you, doesn't it? You know, you you live for not too long before you know that, in terms of um, you know the high standard you might set for yourself as a person, it's not long before you kind of stumble, you know, and you kind of are a bit disappointed with yourself. Anybody else feel like that sometimes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. This is a lovely description to him who's able to keep you from, from that feeling of deep disappointment where you feel just can't come back from this. And he says, and to present you blameless. This phrase, and to present you, I'm always interested in the way in which translators translate the scriptures because what this means is it's when he says to present you blameless in the presence of his glory, it means to establish you, to give you a real landing place ground that you as it were that you own give so that you have the security to give you security in the presence of God with great joy isn't that wonderful so what <laughs> God's intention is is that this this as we enter into the presence of God and we know that we're secure in his presence this rush of joy just kind of makes us, you know, woo! You know, do cartwheels, as it were. To present you blameless. 
Isn't this an amazing statement? Anybody here feel blameless? Only in Christ, hey. You know, we've got a record of dirty marks on our pinafore, if you, those of you that wear pinafores. Don't know where that came from. But in, yeah, isn't that blameless? To present you blameless in the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now here, he's talking about his big brother. This is the thing. Jesus, my big brother, the Messiah, our Lord. And I've been thinking about how Jude has to come to terms with who his brother really is. And that is the challenge for all of us. The challenge for all of us is how we come to terms with who Jesus really is. Because actually, what that is, is it's deeply rooted to the human quest in every heart to know who we truly are ourselves. What is the basis of our identity? What's the lasting basis of our, of our identity? What gives us that permanent grounding in the presence of God? The unchangeable reality of who we truly are. We see in this world today people crying out for identity, trying to forge an identity that is that 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 can hold them, that can sustain them psychologically and emotionally. Just imagine yourself as Jude. <laughs> I I wondered if this ever happened. If Jesus ever came into the corporate boy's bedroom at his place and said, has anybody seen my sandals? You know? And Jude has to come to terms with the fact that the guy who lost his sandals, and I'm looking at somebody. <laughs> no, but where are your keys, Graham? <laughs> Very light. But the point is, you know, if he lost his sandals, I don't know if he lost his sandals, but it's equally, I think it's even more terribly frightening if he never lost his sandals. <laughs> if he always knew where his sandals was, because I'm sure Jude lost his. <laughs> in other words, one's nature gets demonstrated and revealed in your life. Who you really are comes through comes through he had to live with him and he had to come to that place where he recognized same mother different father and I'm okay with that Just before we leave this passage, it says, Be glory and majesty, dominion and authority. Oh, we're not quite ready to leave this passage, actually. It says, Sometimes we think that God has glory because we give it to him in worship. <laughs> Absurd. 
absurd. <laughs> what this means is, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who has for all time and in eternity been glorious, majestic, <laughs> having all dominion and authority. And when we worship, all we're doing is recognizing it. <laughs> we don't make him any bigger. <laughs> Although we can live our lives in a way that increase the understanding of his majesty in the lives of others. And that's a good thing to do. Oh, could I move it forward? Because there was one, I don't know if I can move it back. No, apparently not. Can you move it back for me? Here we go. Thank you, Craig. See, another thing that Jude comes to terms with is that his big brother was around before all time. <laughs> He's, for him, the, the incarnation is very personal. You know? Very personal. The guy that just slept across the way, you know, who passed his clothes down to me, was the pre-incarnate word, the everlasting son of the Father. What a thing. Eh? Before all time, and now, and forever. When he says amen, when he says amen, Jude, he says it with every fiber of his being. How does Jesus know who he really is? By an inherent element of the divine nature or by his study of scripture and the angelic prophetic words spoken about him. How did little Jesus come to know who he was? I've been doing some uh, reading in uh, and um, mostly audible book stuff in genetics and uh, the DNA and all that sort of stuff. One of the amazing things about the DNA that they've come to realize is that both parents we we take it for granted now, but in the DNA, you know, in the when the the um, the procreative cells come together, unique cells come together. What the, um, the father and the mother provide equally the same amount of DNA to the formation of that new little life in the conception. Equally, they they provide all the genetic material equally. Isn't that something? Yeah. Wouldn't you love to be able to look at the DNA of Jesus? You know, wouldn't that be something? To see how God transcribed himself. 
in cells. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? So the question has always been, and I don't know whether I... I'm not going to attempt to answer it, so I'm just going to talk about it, okay? And I'm going to pray that God helps you. This business of understanding the incarnation. Stand in Jude sandals for a moment. <laughs> Think about your big brother that way. You know, <laughs> In what sense is he the unity of God and man? what sense biologically how does it happen it's just amazing so the question is when did Jesus and how did Jesus become conscious did he ever lose his consciousness of who he was before all time was was it in his DNA <laughs> Who his father was. Was it there? How, how did this work? We can't spend a lot of time on this because it is, it is a mystery, an absolute mystery. Uh, but it says here, um, what was the role of his, you know, his training as a, as, a, as a young Jewish boy in the scriptures? And, um, and, I was thinking about this passage that tells us that um, before his mother conceived, Gabriel the angel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you, confused and disturbed. <laughs> Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now the scripture tells us that, that Mary hid all these things in her heart. Right? When he was 12... Jesus went with his mother and father, as he always did every year, up to the temple at the feast times. And when he was 12, at the time of his bar mitzvah, when he, in Jewish law, about 12, 13 years of age, you have this ceremony where they recognize that you are part of the, the, con the company of Israel. You're like a young man at that point. And he's there, and he just gets into conversation with the Jewish leaders. And um, uh, and he gets into such deep conversation, um, uh, you know, that his parents, when they're on their way home, walking with everybody, they assume he's with them, and, and they go, and it's three days before they finally find him back in the temple when they have to come back looking for him. But here, Jesus, let's assume for a moment that Jesus, in his sense of self-discovery and what the scripture has to say about him, comes across this passage in Isaiah that says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end and he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Isaiah chapter six, uh, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. 
and maybe ate. That's what Gabriel said, isn't it? That's what Gabriel said to Mary, more or less, the bones of that. And imagine him asking the Jewish leaders about whom is this written? And them saying, well, we think it's written about the Messiah. And he looks at it and he says, well, why does it say a son is given? Whose son are we talking of? Is Isaiah talking of? And you can see the rest of it. It seems to be something in which the father is so passionately involved. Just suggest that he maybe says, and can I ask you about this passage too? He was rejected and despised and rejected a man of sorrow, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. About whom is this written? In other words, what I'm really saying is that how amazingly the prophets revealed the identity of Jesus and for Jesus how he owned that identity, realizing it and living it. defined by it, being understood by it, understanding it deeply. How could Jesus be so human? How could he submit to this and, 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 uh, and, and kind of um, live out a life that is the fulfillment of the prophets and the angels. And this passage says, in, this is from Philippians, says you, you must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God the Father as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Uh, the Greek language says he emptied himself. He laid that divinity aside, a down, as it were, and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. I noticed that that phrase, we have the same attitude as Christ, once again looking a bit more closely at the text, it says, have this in mind. Have this understanding among you. He's saying, cultivate this way of looking at reality. That's what he's saying. Cultivate this way of looking at reality, which was also in the Messiah Jesus. In other words, he's saying, the Spirit of the Lord is among us in order to give us this kind of view of ourselves. (laughs) You know, know, 
don't feel that we have to. We are something, he says. In other words, this passage is saying we are something. We may not be equal with God, but there is something in the divine purpose that is so over and beyond our understanding for us. But nevertheless, he who was that before all time, now and forevermore, he lays it aside and he humbles himself in order that he might fulfill the divine purpose. Amazing. Something that I've had to learn in my experience of God and my experience of Jesus is how humble he is. How meek he is. What if we discover our identity and mission in the same way? Through scripture and the spirit. Through messengers like evangelists and prophets. What if, if the purposes of God for us, if Jesus' life was lived with the special intent that we might learn from his experience because our road is not dissimilar. And I suggest to you that while there's something inherent about Jesus knowing his identity, so much of his life and ministry was drawn from the scriptures, his understanding of it. This, this emptying of himself is required that he learn his role and his life through the word of God, through his obedience and through his faith and through his diligence in the word. What if it's like that for us? What if it's like that for us? What if it also requires diligence and faith and obedience to enter into our full identity and purpose? This is when we talk about in this series how we, how we become what we become and how Jesus, what Jesus means to me. I... I I'm speaking personally here, that I realize that who I am as a person is defined by the scripture and by the work of the spirit through the scripture and in those prophetic moments and ways. And so just to pull it together, to get back in Jude's sandals, just before he wrote that great benediction he wrote this but you dear friends one of the things i felt that he wants us to be and me to be is a dear friend you know that it's one of the highest human stations friendship friendship i think in today's world at least Facebook thinks it's important. <laughs> I say with a slight touch of cynicism, sarcasm. But you know, don't you, what a dear friend is. They're just there at the right time. You must build each other up. Isn't this interesting? Build each other up in your most holy faith. Take the responsibility of building each other's faith. Isn't that something? It's not so much building my own faith, you know, but building my brother's faith, my friend's faith. 
praying with power in the Holy Spirit. It's one way in which it happens. We build faith not so much by how much we talk in each other's ears, but how much we talk to God for each other. And await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful that we await mercy, not judgment? Isn't that amazing? As something that defines how we live in the world, the expectation of mercy. Is anybody glad about that? I've got six arms up. You know, I'm so pleased. I love to, to just define the grace. Grace is... Mercy is not receiving the punishment I deserve. Grace is receiving the favor I don't deserve. Await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves as a community of faith safe in God's love. Safe, the community is safe in the quality of our relationships. Isn't that good? You must show, isn't this amazing? Show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Isn't it amazing how so? When I look back on my life, one of the things I regret is that I didn't work harder with those people that were struggling with their faith, struggling with their identification with the church, for instance, who found the church a difficult place to be at times. So they didn't come. So I didn't follow enough. Yeah. We'll leave it there. Thanks, musicians, if you'd like to come and we'll just celebrate the relationship we have with the son and brother who and pray for each other as we take this cup and bread today, we're going to pray for each other, not just for ourselves, that we will come like Jude came to the full realization of who it is, who is our Lord and Savior, who he really is. Because as we discover him, we discover ourselves. Let's open up our little containers. gave himself up for us so freely didn't he so so entirely without reservation holding nothing back we pray that same spirit 
will come into us as a community of faith, that we will love each other deeply. True friends. True friends. Jesus thinks of himself as a true friend. Our true friend. We just love you, Jesus. I appreciate you so much today. And we celebrate your gift of yourself to us today in these simple emblems. And we pray that that spirit, the spirit in which you gave yourself for us and for the whole world, will fill us afresh. Transform our relationships, how we treat each other and think of each other. In Jesus' name, let's eat and drink together. God's mind.